What is up, podcast listeners? Thank you for giving me a few moments of your day to listen to this podcast. This is the Matt Baxter Show. I'm your host, Matt Baxter, and this podcast is about purpose, passion, and calling. Super stoked to have you as a listener because we're going to dive into some awesome, intense stories about people who are going through this journey of this thing called life, and we're all just figuring this out together. But seriously, you're giving me a little bit of your time, and I want to make sure it's valuable and worthwhile. So have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was getting this podcast off the ground, we first started as the Wedgecast, evolved into the Matt Baxter Show. There was a lot of questions that we had, like, how do I record an episode? How do I get my show in all the different places like Spotify, Apple Music, Anchor, Zencaster, all these different places. And yet it just seemed very, very complicated. But the simple thing for us as we began to navigate the waters is the answer to every single one of these questions, questions excuse me, was really simple. It's Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free. Yeah, free. And it's ridiculously easy to use. And now Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise in your podcast. That means you can get paid podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now. Yeah, making money. Okay, it's sweet. It's easy. It's not a big cheap plug on an ad, but it's just simple and easy to use. So for us, it's one of the best parts about it is we can do it entirely remote or in studio. So you can record, you've got that really, really high, you know, high in the sky person that you're going to have as a guest on your podcast. You got to do it remote. Anchor is easy to use. You got people who are willing to come to your studio, your house, your office, wherever you're recording it. Boom. Anchor. Love it. Simple, easy, simple and easy to use. So if you ever want to start a podcast, make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start. Join me in the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. Can't wait to hear your podcast. What is up, Wedgecast listeners? This is Matt Baxter, and I'm hitting this episode with one of our fantastic partners, Ryan Kohler. He is the CEO of Applicant Pro. He's a thought leader when it comes to hiring. He's a hiring guru. He just has this wild, crazy, out-there mind that also creates a very practical sense of creating businesses, forming businesses, and just challenging the status quo. So this was an awesome episode, and I actually had the chance of hanging out in their office uh, at Applicant Pro out in Utah. Beautiful country. I totally get why he's out there, and it's just it's just sweet. So enjoy this podcast. He's awesome. Ryan, thanks a ton for being a guest on the show. Ryan, thanks for being a guest on the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, man. So where in the world are you recording from? So I am right now in Saint, sunny St. George, Utah. I think it's something like 300 days a year of sunshine here. So do you ever have a bad day? <laughs> uh, you know, if it rains too much. So January, like January and February can be a little bit rough because if it rains a little too much, then I can't mountain bike. And so, you know, it can be rough. If, if it's too muddy, you can't bike here. <laughs> so I guess I got to ask, you know, we'll, we'll dive into your professional story, but how do you balance like being the guy that loves mountain biking, being outdoors, and yet you run like a tech company and sitting in front of a computer a lot of the time? How do, how do, how do you mentally balance that? Well, I mean, number one, I never sit in front of a computer. I'm standing here, right? Because all the <laughs> all the cool tech people stand up, right? Oh, and sweet, so, sweet. You know, <laughs> yeah, I can't, you know, a day of meetings when I'm in meetings and I'm stuck at a conference room table or something like that. It drives me nuts. But, you know, if I'm on the phone, I'm usually like standing or pacing. And so, 
I, it keeps my energy up for the most part. And so, yeah, if I'm sitting, I'm not going to be happy for very long. <laughs> Love that. So give us the background share your story. I mean, you've done a wide range of things, CEO of Applicant Pro, and we were just fired up and excited about that partnership. But, you know, what is it that led up from day one of, you know, who Ryan is all the way to today? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, honestly, I got my hands in a ton of stuff growing up and, and through college. I think, you know, most people probably would never have hired me. I was a job hopper, right? I think I, I sat down the other day, I, I don't know, I was driving across the California desert and uh, in autopilot clearly. And so I had my phone out and I was making a list of like, why, you know, what, where my education comes from. I, I moved down here to St. George. I went to college. I got an accounting degree, which if anybody knows me, they're like, wouldn't believe it at all. Um, I use it as kind of a more of a joke as I introduce myself and I got an MBA. But like my real education came from sticking my hand in a lot of stuff. I think I came up with like a hundred things. I think the list was like a hundred or a forty things that I've spent more than forty hours doing or learning about. And and so you know if you come to me with a subject or we're talking about a problem set or you have a business idea or something like that, there's a good chance that I've spent some time like getting my elbows dirty somewhere around that subject matter. And so, you know, I, I got an accounting degree. I got an MBA and quit my job like three weeks later. I, I have a second grade teacher for a mom. So clearly you have to check down the boxes on education if you want her to be happy with you. And, but, you know, entrepreneurship was always kind of there. Um, and so, you know, quit my job and got into web marketing. This was early. This was like, oh gosh, like 2000 and two kind of realm when you know search marketing was easy and it just was a an interesting transition from accounting which was easy for me but bored me to tears into kind of an analytical side of marketing and search marketing would you say your uh would you say your mind gravitates towards more on the uh analytical side of thinking and more on like sort of uh sales side of things i mean wh which one would you say you gravitate more towards so what's funny is i you know i have this background in in data and stuff and i can do data but i'm a a like passion decision maker i'm a gut decision maker and most of it's just because i i pretty much feel that i can persist through the through the challenge if i make the wrong choice i'm just that persistent so i tend to be you know, probably in the middle, I, I, I'm probably what you'd consider a product manager, right? I'm that guy that sits between the programmers and the customer and figures out and marketing, luckily, and marketing and product development really go hand in hand over the last, you know, decade. If you look at where we progress to, they're not these separate, distinct entities. A lot of the flow is, you know, understand the customer and their pains and needs and markets them. And the product side is understand the customer and and their pains and needs and build a product that fits them. And so, you know, it's very similar, but yeah, I tend to be the passion guy, not the, not the analytical guy. Love that. So would you be able to lead yourself? Meaning like if, if, if a five-year younger version of you walked in the door, would you be able to be, uh, would you be able to lead them well, or would, would you be the wor your worst nightmare? 
Oh man, there's there's probably very few people on the face of the planet that can lead me in a direction. It's not that I it's not that I don't take direction well. Um but I have a I'm a contrarian. So, you know, if you mix like you mix stoicism and the obstacles away and you know, blessings or curses and curses or blessing, there's there's a pretty good chance that if you tell me the right way to do something, I'll be able to show you that that way might not be right. And if you tell me that my, you know, that there's a wrong way to do it, I'll probably prove that it works as well. So it probably doesn't make me a great person to have around if you want to manage me, unless, unless your vision is open to the fact that most likely the world is not ones and zeros. The most likely every decision is not between a right and a wrong. Most likely almost every decision you make is between two decent alternatives. And the difference between success and failure isn't the choice. It's probably how committed and how persistent and aggressive you are at what comes after the choice. So, yeah, I'm, not, I'm probably not the best employee. I mean, I show up. I'm not lazy by any means, but there's a good chance I'm going to venture into all kinds of edge cases and ask way too many questions. <laughs> Love that. Love that. So, uh, one more, one more question on that topic. So would you like say that your, your concept of starting companies or coming up with new ideas or contemplating new ideas, is it the excitement of a new thing or is it the challenge of solving a problem that gets you going the most? Mm, it's, you know, as you get bigger, it gets harder and harder to do some of those things. Right. And so you try to, you try to carve out your, your little startup areas. Generally it's, it's being able to solve a problem and put, you know, put it together. I don't care if it's, you know, the problem I'm spending most of my time on right now has been bugging me for like three years now. So it's not like, oh, this is a new thing. Um, it's more of, okay, I've iterated enough that finally I think I have the right solution set. So now I want to see if I can get from zero to, to some type of a flywheel, some type of a, a, you know, the snowballs rolling down the hill and catching steam. And so, yeah, it's not just some new shiny object that I'm going to chase. I mean, I've been chasing HR software for almost a decade and a half now, which is a long, long time in the tech world. So that's a great place to transition. So talk me through like getting geeked about hiring um, is not something that you hear every day. And also getting geeked about HR tech is definitely not something you hear every day. So where did that world come from? Where did that fascination come from out of all the different things that you've thought about, contemplated, challenged, questioned, like that's the one you've chosen to stay on for 15 years. So w walk me through where the inspiration of that came from. Well, I mean, clearly most, you know, everybody thinks that they're going to come up with some great big idea and they're going to wake up one day and, and it'll be sitting in their lap or, you know, there's, there's this adage that's like solve a problem that's close to home. Right, find a problem that you have and go solve it, and so somehow you'll know about it. And while, again, I'm a contrarian, so there's plenty of people who, have, who say that that's the way to go. That's generally not the way I go about things. Um, I tend to be the exact opposite. Problems tend to end up in my lap. They're usually somebody else's problem. I mean, when I started this business, I had one employee. I clearly didn't have a hiring problem. I mean, we were we marketing and Google AdSense problem. We didn't have a hiring problem at all. Somebody came along um, because I just, there's a, there's a saying that basically says, well, fortune find me active and prepared, right? 
So I'm prepared for whatever opportunity pops in front of me and I'm super active about it. And so somebody came along and said, Hey, we, you know, I was doing some sales for them and they said, you're not good at selling assessments. We have all these clients. Um, the provider keeps bringing us an inferior and wildly inflated applicant tracking system. Could you build it for us? And clearly I said, you know, I've never built software before. So yeah, I mean, why not? This looks like a website with a login. And so, you know, that, that's, you know, persistence of going, cool, this is cool. I'm going to build some software. It's going to be awesome. At some point, clearly, you know, the reason why HR tech is, it's interesting. I, I do a lot of presentations on this. The reason why HR tech is hard to get excited about is the difference between the people who are excited about the ideas, meaning, you know, usually tech founders and people invested in by VC and the extremely slow adoption curve of your core user in the space and that, you know, they're just, if you think about a normal bell curve adoption with, with, you know, early adopters and early majority and that kind of stuff, um, tech, you know, the tech guys tend to be slid all the way over to the left. Everybody wants to be an early adopter. So they go all in, they get kind of false validation of their HR ideas, but the actual HR world is skewed all the way to the right. They're almost all skeptics. And so that makes it hard for people to get super excited about it. They're not begging for innovation. There's not a lot of innovation that happens. And the innovation that does happen is hard to get adopted like AI. So for me, you know, my transition happened. It was probably, gosh, about 10 years ago, most of the industry said we are an applicant tracking system, meaning we track the applicants like a CRM. And that clearly is not the most exciting thing to me because marketing really is. And I'd had enough clients say, you know, can you get us more applicants? Can you find more people to apply for our job? That I said, you know, I'm going to do this even though everybody says it's not our job. I'm going to figure out a way to maximize the flow because if you think about pretty much in any process, you know, if you have a ton of lead flow, then a lot of interesting thing happens. There's actually a quote I was, I met with the, the, uh, a CRO down in San Diego last week. And he said something like, your courage in, what was it? Your courage in qualifying your pipeline or your leads is in direct correlation to how much pipeline you have. Meaning as a salesperson, your courage to really look at your leads and say, is this a good lead or a bad lead? You're only courageous about that if you've got a ton of leads. And when it comes to hiring, you know, really for me, what gets me excited is that I found this kind of magical thing that suddenly opened everything up where I was like, you know, hiring is really just marketing. If you look at marketing and sales and you look at hiring, there's, there's so much correlation and marketing is something I know. And so once I recognized that and saw what would happen when you treat hiring as a marketing function, then it gets exciting. You show up at events, you have new cool ideas that nobody sees coming because it's not because you're brilliant. It's just your, your paradigm has shifted. You're looking somewhere else to copy your ideas from. And so that's, yeah, that's what gets that. me up in the morning, right? I can, I can show up somewhere and pull some crazy idea out of a hat and it's not a best practice and it's not a trend. And most people probably don't believe it will work, but it's most likely fairly deeply founded in previous success, just not in the hiring world. It was, you know, it's founded in success in the marketing world. And so that makes it maybe a little too easy right? I think it's a little too easy that you can start predicting what comes next um, because you have this, you know, crystal ball sitting in front of you. And so. 
That's phenomenal. So is there a particular hire throughout? Okay, so let's take it, take it back to the days of like in the midst of creating this applicant tracking system, in the midst of saying all of a sudden all these companies want to have a broader pipeline to be able to find people. Was there a particular hire that you helped, you made, you were a part of or some way, shape or form that really like hit home, like hit, hit the heart of Ryan Kohler? There was like, man, I love what I do. Like, was there a particular hire you can think of that you were really fired up about? Oh yeah. So, so, and it probably wasn't really fired up. Right. So again, I, I run a very different business, right? You know, seven years on the Inc 5,000 list in a row yet bootstrap, no VC money. Um, we're 80% female, even on the management team. Most of my employees outside of maybe programmers and some accountants have never done the job they're doing before at another company and potentially or most likely have never even worked in tech before. Think about that for a second as a tech company, if that's the basis of your employee group. And so you rewind way, way back. There's a movie called Moneyball, and it talks about the Oakland A's and how they had to kind of decide who they were going to combine together on a team differently than everybody else because they didn't have the money to be able to compete with the Yankees. And so they looked at it differently and said, we're going to focus on what we can do. And, you know, it was most likely a lot of luck. And honestly, you know, me being upset one day at some sales guys that um you know we were generating a ton of leads and they were complaining about them and I said, these leads are phenomenal i bet anybody could close them and i grabbed one of my I grabbed one of my support people i pulled these leads away from from some of the sales reps and said call these people and do a demo for them show these guys that some mom who hasn't been in tech and hasn't been a salesperson and hasn't sold SaaS before can do just as good of a job and it wasn't like a hire that i predicted it was probably, you know, normal kind of uh, frustration that you try something different. She crushes those guys. She makes all of these sales. Her close rate's higher than theirs is. And it really clicked in my, in my set point that I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, while, while the rest of the world is competing for talent of these, you know, new college grads, dudes from the business programs that they're going to use as their salespeople, that here we have this mom, this part-time mom, who is able to sell, especially when you consider that our target audience is like 80% female as well. And so if you look at our progression from that inflection point forward, you see a pretty consistent theme of us hiring people that nobody else like us would have hired over and over and over again. And it, it kind of redefines how you look at hiring when that you is suddenly realize, right? That's a huge deal. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, like literally it took all the concepts and tips them upside down when you go, well, normal SaaS salespeople, you hire somebody with a bachelor's degree. Why do you do that? Because everybody does it. Oh, snap. Well, you know, I've got half my sales reps who don't have a degree at all. Well, what does that mean? It means a degree isn't required. It doesn't actually provide them with some you know magical power that people who maybe went to two years of college and then had a kid and stayed home or that never went to the college at all suddenly it it devalidates a a very well accepted concept that people with degrees are smarter and more likely to be successful than those that don't you immediately devalidate it you you take and you devalidate the concept mm -hmm. of somebody with sales experience is more likely to be successful at sales than somebody with no sales experience. 
and instantly you devalidate that. Does it mean it's always that way? Of course not. But what it says is that it's not quite as simple. And what if we're all wrong? Like what if we've all kicked all these people without bachelor's degrees out of our job purely because everybody just assumes that these people are better than somebody who has three years of college. Now, clearly, if you're going to hire doctors, you know, make sure they have a degree, please. Like, if you're going to hire a lawyer or an accountant, make sure that they studied it in college. But if you're going to hire a customer support person or a salesperson or a product manager, like, there's no basis, no validation that says that people with degrees and people with experience, people with tech experience are that much better long-term than those that don't. And so, I mean, if you look at my pivot point, that's where my pivot point is. If you look at our clients that have been wildly successful at hiring, it generally comes because they've kind of drank the Kool-Aid of, oh, my gosh, like, what if there's a target market out there that is being untapped because we all follow each other and copied each other's approach, and we've all assumed this quote-unquote best practice as being the only practice? But what if it's wrong? So um, you're running into the circumstance where you're making some incredible hires sort of unintentionally. You're making these awesome hires where it's like you're challenging the status quo of saying, hey, I'm not picking the most educated or the most uh, natural fit for these positions, but yet they turn out to be rock stars. So like, what is it that you're looking for in people to all of a sudden, like, how are you going about challenging these status quos? And how have you, you know, how, how have you sort of figured out this weird magic that's worked? Yeah, so I mean that's that's one of the problem sets, right? If you take and, and invalidate that, and you say, okay, a degree is not required, or experience is not required for this job, um, then you suddenly have a huge problem because it's not going to be that easy for you to screen through your resume because you don't know who to look for. And you know the biggest thing you can do, you, you try a bunch of stuff. This I can tell you exactly what we did. We tried a bunch of stuff and we got lucky, and and you get lucky. When, when you are willing and open to try some things and test and experiment, and that's probably the same with almost every tech startup, with all those things, you get lucky. Like if you listen to like how I built this, Guy Ross always wants to hear was it skill or was it luck, right? So we got lucky. We hired a couple people because we needed them for support, and we gave them the opportunity to try some things that normally wouldn't happen. We got lucky, and they did well at it. At that point now, and most businesses are not, you know, five employees. Most businesses – have enough people who've been successful that you you instantly can change and the change that has to happen is instead of focusing on the employer or the manager and what they think and you know because that's kind of normal you're like hey we're going to hire a sales rep awesome hey sales manager what do you want what are you looking for what are your requirements you instead put that around and you say hey sales manager who do you know that would be great for this job and hopefully it's one of your top performers already or a couple of top performers. If you have somebody that you're like, this person is great at this job, then you suddenly just switch and say, cool, we're going to clone them. We want to clone this person or these two people. So once I had a couple people to fit, then I said, well, I need to clone them. And so you think about it and you go, well, I'm going to go look at their resume and I'm going to see what they do have. So for instance, my sales reps are more likely to have the word office manager or admin assistant, or words per minute on their resume, then they are to have the word sales. That's a, a huge point. And so when I'm cloning people, I'm saying, cool, look at their resume. What do they look like? Now, 
clearly that doesn't mean I want to hire everybody who's an office manager to be a salesperson. So then I need to like kind of step forward and go, okay, so for instance, we use an assessment. So we're using cognitive, meaning fast learner, slow learner, um, interest and motivations and personality. And so we have back to the clone thing. We have these, you know, two or three people that we want to clone. We have their assessment results and where they sit on all these spectrums. We build a benchmark and there's, there's a handful of different tests out there that will do this. We use the preview, you use, you know, Profile XC or a bunch of other tests. And so we build this benchmark that we can then put applicants against. And so if you kind of think about how do you hire somebody who's awesome, well, clearly you want to look for whatever skills or qualifications they have, but it's pretty easy to train somebody on go to meeting. You know, I have a sales trainer that can teach them sales. What I want to know is they're smart enough to take up that information and do something with it, that they're interested and motivated by the kind of work that's going to go on, and that their personality profile says they're going to act by default in ways that will make them successful in the job and not be fighting against their defaults because the job doesn't call for it. And so that really was kind of like how we started looking at things and saying, cool, we can now predict who will be good at the job using an assessment. Now we progressed from there and gone, well, crap, we know what our values are just because somebody's a good fit for the job. It doesn't mean they share their val our values. So we have value-based interview questions. And so once you get to that point, which is where most employers can get to pretty easily, where they're saying, we can now figure out when somebody comes in here, whether they're a good fit for the job or not, right? And so I take that and say, you know, we're going to look at the, the screening questions. We're going to fire this assessment. We're going to match them up against our benchmark for the job. Um, we're then, if we like what we see, we're going to bring them in. We're going to interview them. For a while, we would give, I think we might go back to it, we'd give some type of a computer test. We have typing tests. We might give them a login to our system and sit them down and say, log into our system and figure it out. And so most employers, especially bigger employers, use some type of assessment and they can do those things. What they don't generally do is reduce down the requirements for the job. And so that's, that's what we did. And that got us like, you know, probably our first, gosh, I don't even know, probably 40, 50 hires. We did a really, really great job with being able to say, cool, we can bring these people in. We know they're fit for the job. Now we've got to redesign, you know, our training programs. We've got to redesign how we work with them because, you know, now we're going to have to train them differently than we would if we had somebody who'd done the job before. Um, and so that, you know, that kind of gets you like, that gets you up to like, you know, your, your green belt, right? Or maybe like you're, you're getting up there where you're pretty good at what you're doing. Um, but if you really want to kick it up a notch, once you can predict somebody will be successful at the job, and you have a program for training and making them successful, um, that's where it really gets interesting and start really targeting those people um, to drive more of them into the top of the funnel. Does that make sense? It makes complete sense. And it's something that, you know, as, as you know, we've talked about a little bit, as we're in the video interviewing space and we're in the space of, one, I'm looking at making hires. Secondly, our solution, our product is, is a part of other applicant tracking systems and a part of other people hiring. And just understanding conceptually, like, what can you do to make phenomenal hires? What can you do to predict making phenomenal hires? What can you do to take what Ryan, Ryan did and pull that one person aside and say, I think you could do better at this. And how do you, you know, multiply that and teach other people to think that same exact way to go about and say, Hey, you know, 
that that is it's it's phenomenal it's 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 making my mind go all tons of different places so i love it so that's um i i guess ultimately my one question would be on that on that would be how did you go from okay so you challenge status quo is that fair to say <laughs> yeah so <laughs> as somebody who challenges the status quo you pulled that one like mom i think you said who was not a salesperson put them against all your salespeople, and she did way better how do you train right. somebody to do what you did in that circumstance? Like you can create pipeline systems, but at the end of the day, that was a very out of the box way of thinking. How do you teach somebody or do you not teach them or do you just spend time trying to find them? I mean, I, how do you replicate that? Yeah, so, so it's super hard like that. If, you, if we're talking about marketing, right? then that stuff happens all the time in all types of businesses, right? And, and that's why we have the iPhone and it's why we have the iPad. It's why we have a Tesla. If you look at product design and you look at marketing, there is a core, a core set of things that happen with those types of individuals, right? They're, they're not, they're not averse, averted to risk. They'll take risks. They'll try new things. They challenge the status quo. They challenge what's going on. You know, marketers, may look at say best practices from a metric standpoint and they look at some of those things as far as colors and setups and structures but they're balancing that against what should come next because marketers while they want to borrow the best practices from say their competitors or from the industry or whatever they also want to make sure they appear different right if you if you think about product design as a great example there's there's a handful of pieces on product design that show you why there's this big difference right is that um, Dodge has a com new commercial out and there's two Dodge Chargers racing and the commercial says four out of five people think this much horsepower is excessive or unnecessary, something like that. And then it's like four out of five people are wrong. And there's this huge tagline, right? And it says, if we were for everybody, we'd be for nobody. And if you think about product design, product people want to be unique. They want to be compelling and they want to be credible. They don't just copy each other. Now, if we reverse that over and we look at the hiring world, I love my clients to death, bless their hearts, but a huge percentage of HR work is very left-brain, process-oriented stuff where we want them to follow best process when it comes to payroll and benefits and not getting a suit and how we, hire, how we fire people and how we do performance management. All of that kind of stuff is very, very process-oriented. And on the hiring side, we, we apply that same brain to it and say this is very process oriented unless the process doesn't work. And if the process stops working, then how will it get fixed? It will, it will need to be fixed by intuition, by creativity, by trying something different. But imagine you have an accountant who also does your marketing. Accountants are very risk averse. They're very process oriented. They follow the law. They follow the rules. And so they would not be willing to take risks with marketing or product design. And so that's kind of the, to be honest, the inherent challenge we have in, you know, in business today, in the world of hiring, in businesses who are saying, hey, you know, there's talent shortage. We don't get enough applicants for our job. There's not enough people for us to hire, yada, 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 yada. Those things are generally false. Those are not true at all. What, what there is is a fundamental misunderstanding of what we're doing when we're hiring. We believe that, that as almost every business to a T came from the Industrial Revolution, 
where they believe that the employer is paying cash to an employee and therefore the employer is the customer and is the job of the job seeker to beg for a job. That it's the job of the job seeker to, to present themselves, to sell themselves to this employer, and you see that across the board in almost every industry, in almost every situation, that we write job ads that are a list of demands that don't tell the jobs that don't try to sell the job to the job seeker at all. And and so that that really is the challenge right now in the business world. Why why would we not uh, attract more women to the tech world? Why would we not? Why is there a shortage of tech people? It's really simple. Us tech guys don't hire non-tech people. We don't write jobs that attract non-tech people. We boot them all out of the process because they haven't worked for a tech company before. And if you close all the gates and and put yourself on an island with only the people who have tech experience, then clearly nobody is replenishing the population or adding to it. And so that really, if you, how do you do it? I don't know. Like I've probably given. 400 speeches at this point and talked about it and talked about it and talked about it. And it's really not that hard unless you're waiting for somebody else to prove that it works first. Yep. Yep. And, and that's totally. really, that's really where we're at. You pick any industry at, you know, credit unions. Awesome. Credit unions are waiting for somebody to prove that something different than the status quo works to reduce the risk of trying it out, to reduce the risk of those things. Um, every other industry, almost the same. There's a couple tech people tend to be a little bit more assertive with this, right? We tend to approach a little differently. If we don't, we die. Like we, we have to have talent. We have to be able to acquire it. Teching, tech, trucking, there's a few industries. But generally speaking, most industries are doing, they, they've copied each other, right? Like just think, Think about this, you know, you're probably a, a marketing or product guy. Imagine if everybody just copied each other's marketing content, copied each other's website, copied each other's product. What would happen is we would have a complete commodity marketplace. It'd be like gasoline or like milk, right? All cars would be beige, uh, you know, Chevy Malibus. Every car would be like that. Every commercial would be the same commercial. They would all sound exactly the same and you would have no brand loyalty. You would have no reason to choose one over the other. You would show up based on price and maybe based on proximity, and that's it. And nobody hearing this would go, that's insane. Nobody would do that. But when it comes to hiring and our jobs, we copy each other's job ads, and pretty soon all bank teller jobs sound the same. And if they're all the same, it's commodity. And if it's commodity, there's no brand loyalty, there's no choice between one or the other. And so a job seeker simply looks at pay and proximity to their house to decide where to work. And so they've fallen. Like I, like I started the whole thing with, if you want to know the secret, it's not that hard. It's just marketing. So when you view it through that paradigm, you can see all the mistakes that are being made throughout the hiring world when you view it in that paradigm. But without the paradigm, you just assume that there's a talent shortage. So uh, on that note, at the end of the day, what limited hours, limited lifespan, what is the influence you hope to have? Uh, you know, so there's, there's a couple of things. I got this from, you know, I have an, a phenomenal mentor over the past few years, and I've read tons and tons of books. And, you know, if you look at kind of say like Love is a Killer app or, you know, some of those types of books, and you look at thought leaders in the world, 
then most of them have a pretty consistent kind of credo. And it, it goes something like this. It's that my marketing will have a bigger impact on the world than my product, than what I sell. And so to me, I mean, that's why I do. I talk nonstop about it because while I might be helping employers, right? If I look at, say, an employer like myself and I say, oh, my gosh, if I could help you attract the talent you need and it'd be unique and you'd be able to you know, have this flow of applicants, you could run your business and make a bunch of money, et cetera, et cetera. But if you turn that around, what you realize is happening is that you're lifting people up in their career path. You're, you're reaching down and giving them the opportunity to jump pathways that would not exist otherwise. So for me, you know, that's what I want. I, you know, I, I look at it and say, especially small employers, I love them to death. This kind of like growth hacking concept levels the playing field out and allows them to compete against bigger companies. So clearly I'm a small business guy. It's who I want to help. I Don't get me wrong. I get no like excitement inside helping some big Fortune 500 company figure out hiring, but I love helping some 20-employee HVAC company or some 50-employee, you know, nonprofit to crush the big guys, to, to figure out their own little niche. But while the employers pay me money, if you convince them to look at hiring differently, if you convince them to lower the requirements and hire based on personality fit and cognitive ability, if you reduce that, you open up all types of new pathways for people who would have made 14, 15, 16, 17 bucks an hour to now make 80 grand a year. And that doesn't happen unless somebody gives them an opportunity to do something and prove that they have some inherent potential that isn't on their resume. So, I mean, for me, that's, that's what gets me up in the morning. Like I make an impact. I love that. Absolutely love it. It's too good. And uh, it's, I, I, it's going to have me thinking the rest of the day, literally just about, you know, what as a small company do we need to be do, doing to hiring differently or well, or we need to leverage. And then also on top of that, you know, what is it as we, sell our solution to companies that are hiring, you know, what can we be doing to helping out as well too? That's just too good. It's unfortunately, I'm, I'm going to give you, a, of, I'm going to give you a free one. Let me give you a yeah. free one. I'll give it to everybody. And if you can't do it, you can literally hit me up on LinkedIn. And I'll do it for you. Your job ad is an ad. Just, just stop and think that about that for a minute. If you go look at your ad and you say, if I was a job seeker, would this make me want to apply for the company? Would this, would this make me think the grass is greener over there than it is where I'm standing? Very simple question. If I am currently working for your competitor and I read your job ad, does it make me want to quit my job today and come work for you? And most likely the answer is no. It sounds just like where they work today. It doesn't sound any different. It doesn't tell the job seeker why they would want to work for you. It tells them a list of your demands. If you make, if you're going to change anything at all, change your job ad. Answer that one simple question. As a job seeker in your target market, why would I want to work for you? If you don't dare do that or you don't know how, you can, you can come follow me and I'll teach you how. You can send me your job ad and I'll write it for you. But we see 50, 50 100, 200, 500% increases in applicant flow by simply changing the job ad, nothing else. And nobody believes it. That's it. That's it. I love that. That's it. And I'll make sure. 
I'm going to, I'm going to make sure there are a few people hitting you up on LinkedIn to follow through on that. Cause I, I know of a few people who could use some help on that. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, literally, so I've got this client, they, what is it? They, they're in the HVAC space. I think they got 19 applicants in 30 days. I just looked at the ad. We wrote them in three weeks. We got them 940. Yeah, All we changed was the ad, nothing else. It's insane. Like clearly that's an outlier, but nobody believes that. That'll work. That'll work for sure. Yeah, man. Love, love that. Well, Ryan, is there anything else you want to leave with the audience? No, I'm just, you know, excited. Like I said, this is why I show up and do what I do. Like clearly we want to grow and be successful as a company. And clearly we want to acquire clients. But at the end of the day, you know, the more we can kind of spread the message that there's a different way to do things, the more that we can, you know, change the labor market, change, you know, people's lives and how they go about things. So no, I'm just change. grateful to be able to be on your podcast today, man. Change the world. Love it. Well, hey, thank you so much and uh, pleasure having you. Yeah. Thanks, man. We'll talk to you later.